0: you are listening to the Name Drop San Diego podcast. I'm Abby Hamblin and I co-host this show with Christy Totten. We want to thank everyone who has joined us so far as we've interviewed chefs, scientists, musicians, and other interesting people in and around San Diego. We're going to be mixing things up in 2021, so we hope you like our new format. On this episode, we're talking to a doctor who has become the face of San Diego County's coronavirus pandemic response. Public Health Officer Wilma Wooten has done press conference after press conference announcing public health orders and guidance. For that, she's earned praise from her peers in the science and healthcare communities as well as our editorial board, which named her San Diegan of the Year in 2020. But she's also received threats, name-calling, and all-out frustration from members of the public. You can find our newsroom's coverage of the coronavirus pandemic at sandiegouniontribune.com, or watch the county's daily press conferences that often feature Dr. Wooten on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Her views and guidance on the pandemic are well-documented, so we wanted to get to know the person behind the podium. We asked her personal questions and about her guiding principles as a public health leader. Here's our interview with Dr. Wooten.
1: Dr. Wooten, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here today. Um, Our first question for you is, you know, you have a very high pressure job right now, arguably the the hardest in the region. And so my question for you is, how have you, um, you know, taken care of yourself during this pandemic and what have you done to take care uh, of your own mental health? You know, that's a a great question and one that people commonly ask. Uh,
2: When I'm in the throes of a task, I focus on the task. And I feel you can endure anything for you know uh, a given point of time, as long as there's light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, obviously, because we can't travel, um, I'm not traveling. You know, you know, vacation for me is very important, and I've stressed that previously with uh, my staff in a newsletter uh, that I would uh, send out to to staff. Uh, but we can't travel, so. Uh, Just catching up on my sleep on the weekends, if I can, you know, or any days that I have off. And uh, we try to just recoup that way. But really, the focus is on getting the job done. Uh, And I also commonly tell my colleagues failure is not an option. So we do what we need to do to get things done.
0: Yeah, so you, I hope people know that you have held this job since 2007, so it's not, it's not a new day job for you, but did you ever ma- imagine that you'd be involved in basically a global pandemic? Well, th- that's a, a great question. Uh,
2: we knew there was only a matter of time. Uh, we had a, a pandemic in 2009 with H1N1 um, that was nowhere near the uh, intensity of this particular pandemic, but uh, it actually our, our emergency declaration, emergency health declaration only lasted from April to June. And as you know, we have uh, will be coming up on uh, in, an entire year on February 14th. So uh, this is much more intense and uh, definitely all hands on deck, which was not the situation uh, with uh, H1N1 nor with our epidemic or hepatitis uh, A. This is, and you know, big pandemics, they say only happen uh, once every 100 years. So it, that's what happened.
0: Sure, <laughs> here we are. Fingers crossed too that that's true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, as for your day job, we wanted to ask what is your favorite thing about what you do? Um, and then what is the most challenging day in and day out?
2: Well, my favorite thing is planning and strategizing. Uh, one of my top strengths is uh, strategic as well as um, restorative and both of those help with planning and planning for the future and strategizing uh, activities and approaches. And I am energized by that.
1: Yeah, just dealing with this pandemic now as you have, like what have been the takeaways for you? What have you learned during this time that you'll you know, take forward with you in your career?
2: I can't say it's something that I've learned, but it's something that has been reinforced. And that is the power and the value of partnerships. At the beginning of the pandemic, we leveraged Live Well San Diego, um, which has the vision of healthy, safe, and thriving communities. And we leveraged our partnerships. We had four um, strategic partnerships, governments, schools, business, and, community and faith-based organizations. And we transformed those four sectors into 23 uh, subsectors of the four. So, and that was to ensure that information was being pushed out to all of the various communities and sectors in our uh, San Diego County. And then also we utilized those groups to gain feedback about strategies we were thinking about. So it's been a, a win-win for us. And for me, it's been a win-win uh, proposition.
1: So we definitely have pandemic questions for you, but um, we wanted to ask you some personal questions. And I read that you were raised by your great-grandparents in rural Alabama um, in a town that had one street light is what I read. Um, how did your your great-grandparents shape the person that you are today?
2: Well, you know, they uh, each um, had a fifth and uh, sixth grade education and they just focus on education but they also focus uh and instill values of uh, protecting and taking care of your communities my brother and i would uh, uh, once a month clean the house for a local elderly um, couple that lived just walking distance from us but we would go there every month to help them do things around the house and that was something that has really stayed with me in terms of taking care of elderly and in in your community. So that's something that has has just stayed with me. And uh, an example of that for the pandemic to to show the the connection is that our elderly are the most vulnerable uh, in terms of being exposed to and suffering from complications associated with uh, COVID-19. That's the case for influenza uh, as well. So making sure that those most vulnerable elderly populations or cared for is just really important.
0: Okay. On the subject of getting to know you better, um, we know you have like a very important job and we just wanted to see if we could ask you some lightning round questions. Like who is Dr. Wilma Wooten? Is that okay?
2: We'll try it.
0: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is something we're going to start doing on our show. So um, we're looking forward to Sounds it. Sounds good. You're driving to and from work. What do you listen to on your commutes? Well, in the
2: past couple of days, I've, I started listening to um, um, Bob Marley's
1: uh, station, reggae. Nice. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, it's hard to be in a bad mood and listen to Bob Marley at the same time. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like that answer. Um, okay, I so you're- realized
2: that all of his, his children can sing.
1: Mm-hmm. I was,
2: yes. I, I came to that thought this morning. Every son that he has, can sing and they are are premiered uh, or uh, showcased on the station.
1: Have you ever seen any of them live? Mm, no, no,
2: no. I've been to Bob Marley's uh, birthplace though in Jamaica.
1: Wow, that sounds amazing. Never been. Um, okay, question number two. So you're just off work. You've just gotten home. What do you do to unwind? Watch mindless television. Any favorites?
2: Uh, Well, it depends on the time of the day. On the weekends, I love the uh, Discovery Channel, uh, Ocean uh, Odyssey. I like those
0: type of wildlife Mm -hmm. uh, shows. Okay. Uh, What is the, oh, the follow-up question, what is the best show you've seen lately? So maybe that's,
1: maybe it's that. that. Oh, no, the best show, I can tell you, Bridgerton. Uh, Yeah, I've been watching that i just finished that i have to say i was a little frustrated with the main love story but i'm glad they worked it out
0: yes okay um, uh
1: what is your favorite movie
0: the holiday
1: i love that movie
0: Also, and jude law i watch that every year mr Napkinhead. Yeah. i okay. watch
2: it
1: several times a year i love that <laughs> i love it okay i have some weekend watching to do what is the book that's had the greatest influence on you
2: Well, I can tell you when I was able to go on vacations, I would cruise the bookstore in the airport and I look for leadership development books. So uh, my favorite leadership development book is uh, Leadership Management. It's focused on on the um, Strengths Finder where you find out what your top five strengths are. And this one, uh, Leadership Management, based on your strengths, you can, uh, it has information about how to engage other strengths if you're having uh, issues with individuals
1: that have those strengths. Interesting. What is your main strength as a manager? I have my top five strengths include strategic, restorative,
2: actually the top one is context. So it basically means I like to gather information and you can't give me too much information. So I love data. Uh, You have
0: input also? I've taken this test.
2: Actually, uh, no, I don't. It, it's context, restorative, believer or belief, includer. I like to include people, and then uh, strategic.
0: My college was really into the strength finder. I think mine were analytical, input, and those are the only ones I can remember. But anyway, okay, so next question mm-hmm. uh, What was your favorite childhood toy? Wow. It wasn't dolls,
2: even though my great grandmother tried to make me play with the dolls I like playing outside in the dirt I was a tomboy oh a toy I, I didn't have a favorite toy I just liked to be outside
1: were you a sports person are you a sports person
2: well I was in. I was a cheerleader in college I uh, played volleyball in college I'm sorry a cheerleader in high school and I played
0: volleyball in college okay what is the most memorable meal of your life
2: I was in England when I was in medical school in Oxford Square, and it was uh, Indian food.
1: Nice. Okay. Yeah. So you really are a traveler. You mentioned you aren't able to do that now. But in this conversation already, you've mentioned Jamaica, England. Yes. I guess this is just off the top of my head, but when we are able to travel again, do you have plans? Where's oh, your first vacation? Somewhere in the Caribbean. I like watching the water. <laughs> it, it just, it soothes
2: and comforts me and helps me to unwind.
1: What is your favorite place in
2: San Diego to take visitors? To take visitors, well, I have a story. Uh, I've had friends come to visit me here in San Diego and I will drop them off at the zoo and then go to work but I've never been to San Diego Zoo. Oh. <laughs> I've been here 30, almost 31 years, yeah.
0: And you love animals, And you I love
2: animal shows. Yes, I. well, I love nature. Okay, uh, I, I do love animals, but I, that example, it's just really interesting to find out about all of the various animals in various countries, and yeah yeah, and their habitats. So that's very exciting and fascinating for me.
0: Okay, well, we'll have to move that to the top of the list post- COVID or whenever you get a break. Um, last one from us is, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? The best advice that I've ever gotten was
2: from uh, the 16th Surgeon General. Uh, who was also Secretary of Health, and that was uh, Dr. David Satcher. And he currently is now on faculty at Morehouse College. But his advice was stay the course.
0: All right. It's similar to uh, uh, trust the process, which is a favorite yes. of mine. Yes.
2: And a favorite of mine. I always tell staff, follow the process. Do not do not deviate. Follow the process. And then that way... That
1: way There should not be any issues if someone challenges what you did. Follow Mm -hmm. the process. So we had a doctor on this podcast recently talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And he told us that he had not seen a Black doctor until he got into med school. And this was just a few years ago that he, you know, entered uh, med school. But I know that you started your residency here in San Diego in 1989. And I was wondering, do you did you have a similar experience? Did you have many role models that looked like you at that time in medicine? Well, I actually started my residency,
2: I completed a family practice residency in DC. I came to San Diego to do, I was looking for a sports medicine fellowship. So I, I stumbled upon the preventive medicine residency here. And so I applied and was accepted to that residency because they had a track in sports medicine. Uh, but, um, when I was in high school and I went to, uh, obviously in rural Alabama, it was very small high school. There were 24 people in my uh, graduating class, but I, I originally was interested in engineering, but then someone from my high school, uh, who was a doctor encouraged me to become a doctor. I was in the ninth grade. So at, at that point is when I started on this um, journey uh, of, of becoming a physician. A role model for me, however, was the doctor, the only doctor in Thomaston, Alabama, who was Dr. Stallworth, who was an elderly uh, uh, white physician. Um, but I can say that he probably was a, a role model for me after I made the decision to become a physician.
1: Ninth grade strikes me as pretty young to make to be so, you know, definitive that that's what you wanted to do. How did you know that uh, this is what you wanted to do? Well, I knew that I had
2: an affinity for taking care of people. And I also knew that I wanted a job that uh, I could depend on in medicine. Everybody needs a doctor. So it, it was a combination of, of factors. But uh, again, going from an engineer. To, to a doctor. I knew all, I always knew that I was going to go to college. And so I'm a planner. So projecting forward in terms of what is my career uh, path going to look like? Uh, when I mentor students, I always ask them what is their one and five year goal? What are your goals in the next year? What are your goals for five years? so that people can plan as, as opposed to just living in the moment.
0: I think stay the course uh, is coming up again with this question we' gonna ask you, which is a, a speaker at a county supervisors meeting shared your home address and got deserved pushback from our editorial board and others for targeting a public official. Mm-hmm. and And we've seen you know people in your position, it's a tough climate, and we've seen you know many walk away from the job. So how do you work in that environment and what helps you um, why do you stick with it? Because it's the right thing
2: to do. Uh, it's the right thing to do. That's that's all I can say. Um, this is what I, well, I don't necessarily know that I signed on <laughs> for this very moment, but we knew it was a possibility uh, in our day and time to be exposed to pandemics. And we, I mean, pretty much most of the years I've been a health officer, there's been some type of public health crisis or threat. So it's expected with the job. And it's just important to stay the co- co- the course and let science drive decisions that are made as opposed. And I know it's, well, for me, because uh, I'm not the politician, but I stay the course and focus on science uh, and evidence-based uh, practices.
0: As, as part of your day job, you have other things still continuing despite a global pandemic. And we saw this week, a new uh, county program, Black mm-hmm. Legacy Now was introduced. Yes, and we wanted to see uh, what what you might want to share about that to let people know what it's about.
2: Well, we are, are very proud of that particular initiative. It, it is born out of our uh, Black Infant Health uh, program, and ever since I've been in San Diego, um, uh, and I practiced at UCSD for eleven years before coming to the county. Uh, when I came to San Diego, infant mortality was about seventeen. Uh, per 1,000 live births. And I came here from D.C., Washington, D.C., and D.C. had a very active uh, infant mortality campaign in the late 80s. And I know that their infant mortality rate was 19, almost 20. So I, I, it wasn't though until I came to the county aware of what our infant mortality rate uh, was uh, and aware of the program, the Black Infant Health Program But the federal, I'm sorry, the state, provided additional funding uh, three years ago in 2018 to really focus on this issue of racism as a uh, factor uh, in infant mortality. And we know that individuals, there's been studies performed uh, that Blacks from other countries uh, do not have the same infant mortality as uh, blacks or African-Americans in the U.S. Now if they are, if they are here long enough, uh, they, they uh, become similar, but uh, African-Americans over the past uh, Healthy People 2010, 2020, and now uh, 2030, um, that's the federal government, those are objectives that the uh, federal government pushes down to the states and the local levels to help uh, gauge the health of the nation. And infant mortality rate for all of the other groups, uh, it has always been lower than the target. So in 2010, the target was 4.5, in 2020 it was six, and now it's five for 2030. African-Americans have always been above the target and all of the other groups, whites, Hispanics, Uh, Asians, all of the other groups are below uh, the target. So fast forward almost 20, yeah, actually 20 years, we are in single digits, but we're still above all of the other groups. So we are between six and seven, I believe, uh, now African-Americans are, uh, but uh, all of the other groups, whatever the target has been established, they have been below that target. And in uh, four Blacks in America, it doesn't matter about your socioeconomic status. You can be an obstetrician. uh, You can be a a PhD. uh, But if you are those, an obstetrician and a PhD that are African-American, your risk for infant mortality is going to be higher compared to your other counterparts.
1: Are there any other um, areas that you're looking at health disparities in in San Diego County? Well, actually, um, I believe it was in 2016 or
2: 17, our um, chief administrative officer challenged all of the departments in the county to look at disproportionality across their programs. And Public Health Services did that. We convened, we actually did this in partnership with the state uh, to kick it off, but we held meetings with each of our six programmatic branches to look at the data of uh, programs and um, activities that they were involved in. So we tried to look for um, health disparities. And then after that, we uh, had each branch identify a, a health equity issue that they would work on. And it is included in our strategic And You can go to the website and just Google Public Health Services San Diego and you can find our um, a strategic plan and then there's a section that focuses on health equity uh, and we have an issue for each branch so obviously for maternal ch- uh, child and family health services it's infant mortality for uh, HIV and STD and hepatitis branch it's um, HIV and for tuberculosis it's LTBI so we have a program focused on LTBI uh, in uh, our tuberculosis and refugee health and tuberculosis also is a factor that impacts our refugee health community as well so that uh, is a perfect uh, issue to focus on
0: for those who see you at the press conferences and you know maybe now they've heard about this program but what is the day in the life of your job like like what is the average day like for people who don't see what you do behind the scenes and only maybe Hear from you at the press conferences?
2: I wish I could show you a screenshot of my schedule, but it's back-to-back meetings every day. Uh, before COVID-19, it was face-to-face meetings. Now it's Zoom meetings, but it is back-to-back meetings, meetings over lunch. So I have national meetings, I have state meetings, and then there's a myriad of local meetings. So it's a lot of meetings. Some are uh, addressing issues and problems. Uh, many are standard meetings, you know, testing, focusing on our testing planning or vaccination uh, planning. Uh, other meetings could be HR meetings. So it's just a myriad. Um, and then there are things that are not COVID related. Like we have a um, opioid grant, um, four year grant and we're in year uh, uh, two of that now. So focusing on those uh, strategies and activities. So, Much of the standard activities that we were working on before COVID are creeping back in. So now we are COVID issues and uh, uh, non-COVID issues.
0: While I was in the middle of this interview, I got a a text from our sports editor with a question. Yeah, he's asking about outdoor sports coming back for youth, um, both high school and youth sports. He said that they're seeing kids go to other states or... Do them underground, but um, what should we know or where are we headed um, to bring those back?
2: Well, before we went down, before we went um, on the lockdown, so to speak, a regional stay-at-home order, there was already guidance in place for youth sports as it relates to practicing and maintaining social distancing, um, as well as uh, wearing their masks when appropriate while you are exercising. That was in place. Now the state has issued additional or new guidance on uh, youth sports. So there are certain sports uh, that have low risk like swimming or jogging or running. Uh, But for competitive sports like football or rugby things, uh, sports where there's a lot of uh, interaction and close contact, those sports are at high risk. Now I recognize the fact uh, that uh, there is a lot of there are a lot of soccer groups that are going to Arizona, but in many cases they come back and they are infected. And the point of the matter is close contact. So whether they were in Arizona or if they were doing that here in San Diego, there is still the opportunity to become infected. So that's why uh, the state has recommended that there be no competition except in those low now in those low risk sports because if you engage in those high-risk sports, there is the opportunity and the risk that someone will become infected. And we are seeing increased numbers of students and staff uh, that are becoming infected just just attending um, uh, face-to-face learning at schools. So the risk is out there, and I understand people want their children to uh, be physically active. We have opportunities where that can happen, but we do not recommend that uh, students engage in those high-risk sports that put them at risk for for becoming infected. Getting infected with COVID-19 is not just, oh, I get a cold after several days and I'm okay. There are a lot of long-term complications associated with COVID-19, including uh, infection of the uh, muscle of the heart, myocarditis, uh, neurological problems. Uh, we are seeing those inflammatory neuro, uh, inflammatory conditions uh, now um, in kids that have their symptoms have resolved and enforced to six weeks later, they, they develop complications. So this is not just some fly by night d- disease. You have a couple of days and you're okay. It
1: can have long lasting complications associated with it. Along those lines, you know, for people who aren't able to t- tune into the press conferences, maybe don't follow the news right now or very well, um, if you could look every San Diegan in the eye and relay an, a message to them about this disease, about this pandemic, what would it be? Well, first of all, this is a novel coronavirus and one of uh, which we have
2: never seen before. So because it's new and because we don't know uh, the characteristics or demographics of uh how it will impact us in the long term. It is imperative that everyone practice the uh, um, strategies that we talk about every day. And that is the three W's. And the first is wash your hands, watch your distance, and wear your mask. And if you're sick, stay home. Don't go to work, don't go to school, get tested. And then uh, we want everyone to be vaccinated when it is their turn to get vaccinated. So uh, on our website, uh, www.coronavirus-sd.com, you can go there and find out any and everything you need to know about uh, this virus, about how you can get tested, and how you can uh, get vaccinated. Uh, because we have limitation in the vaccines, everybody can't get vaccinated right now, unfortunately. But we have this phased in approach. Uh, this phased-in approach, uh, starting out with healthcare per, uh, personnel, which is a very broad definition, It's not just doctors and nurses, but anyone initially that worked in hospitals. And then it, uh, um, it expands uh, to include uh, clinics, paramedics, and EMTs that are uh, providing uh, emergency response uh, services. All types of healthcare personnel, that's open now. We have about 635,000 of those in San Diego. That's uh, phase 1A, tiers one, two, and three. In phase 1B, uh, there are two tiers. And right now we're just focused on the 65 and over. We started out at 75 and over. Then we added on 65 to 74. And then hopefully in February, we will expand to um emergency service workers that are really high priority, our fire, police, and other emergency services uh, personnel, our teachers, um, educators, childcare, and then individuals that are in the food and agricultural um, um, industry. So that's where we're going. And uh, there's about 1.3 million, I believe, and that's a lot of people. And then the next category, 1C, has the other age groups, 50 to 64, and then 16 to 49 years of age that have high risk uh, or underlying medical conditions. And then there are other um, essential worker categories. It's gonna take time, uh, and unless we get a lot more vaccine available to us. So that's, we are phasing in. And I know the state is talking about an aged uh, uh, approach. And we are doing that. That's exactly what we're doing. So we will continue uh, that uh, purpose or practice. And we hope that we can get a large uh, group or large portion of our population vaccinated uh, by uh, spring. But the federal government is giving us until July 1st. But we really feel that we should try to get our population vaccinated well before that.
0: Yeah, I. my last question for you is, This is a a different audience than the press conference. We were talking about looking every San Diegan in the eye. What do you want them to know about you? What would you share to get to know you and who you are?
2: Well, in terms of my role as a a public health officer, I I would uh, ask uh, the general public to, uh, to recognize that always at the top of our list is to do the right thing, to lead with science and evidence and to do what's best. For the San Diego community.
0: Well, now you may have a better idea of the person you see so often on social media or in local news. Thank you to Dr. Wooten for doing an interview amid such a busy schedule and to everyone who tuned in to get to know her a little better. We release new episodes every Tuesday with fascinating and influential San Diegans, so we hope you'll tune in for another one. Subscribe in your listening app right now to be the first to receive our new episodes. Go do it right now so you don't forget. Thank you so much for your support and see you next time.